Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it. A happy 3rd of July to you and yours. Harrison Ars is just with you as a part of Ticket Week Nights. I'm with you here for the next hour. I'll be joined by Matt Hardesty in a little bit. Shout out to Landon on the road supporting his family's brothers playing baseball. So Landon is on the road watching that, I believe, in beautiful San Antonio, a.k.a. Victor Wembenyama City. Uh, we'll see if Landon runs into him. The Spurs in the, the California Classic Summer League right now. They will as well make their way out to Vegas. But that's neither here nor there because we're talking college hoops not nearly as much pro hoops as we did today on the block podcast for that. If you missed any of it, will be up uh, in just a little while, but something that we mentioned a little bit during on the block today was the New York Knicks and their strategy of going all in on the golden era of Villanova basketball. Nope. Not going all the way back to uh, Raleigh Massimino in the eighties. We're talking the recent golden era of Villanova hoops the 2016 title team in the 2018 title team. The Knicks went out. We know they got Jalen Brunson, pried him away from the Dallas Mavericks. Jalen Brunson, again, I'm willing to call him an NBA star, maybe not superstar yet, but he definitely took on more responsibility, made a leap with the Knicks last year. So he's there. Uh, they go out and they trade for Josh Hart. They pry him out of Portland and they bring him to Manhattan. And then the third member of that Troika, is Dante DiVincenzo, uh, who Matt knows about from his time uh, on the Bucks. Dante DiVincenzo, of course, with the Kings, also with the Warriors, but best known for uh, his roles in the Villanova title teams, coming off the bench, helping spark them uh, in a lot of cases. So in this first segment, we're going to take a look back at those, you know, mid-2010s Villanova teams, uh, and then we'll get into some, some conference challenges that are changing. A lot of us here in Husker land are used to the Big Ten ACC challenge. Well, that's no more. We do still have the Gavit games, which will be between uh, eight Big Ten and eight Big East schools. We'll dive into that a little bit. But the Big Ten ACC challenge is no more. That's right. It's dead and gone. Instead, we have the ACC-SEC challenge at this point. Uh, and that, of course, intrigues both Matt and I, as my Duke Blue Devils participate in the ACC, Matt's Kentucky Wildcats, members of the SEC. So we'll we'll preview that. And of course, we'll, we'll look back on history, right? Some of the uh, most beautiful Big Ten ACC games and the uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Big Ten ACC games. There were certainly plenty of both. 402-464-5685. If you have any comments or questions on anything we're saying, feel free to text in. Or if you're watching via the stream, that's probably where you're watching us, given that the Royals are on uh, the brick and mortar airwaves right now. If you're watching via the stream, comment on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. We do see those comments roll in as well. All right, we turn our focus to the greater Philadelphia area. We turn our focus to Villanova. If I told you in the 2015 men's college basketball tournament, men's March Madness 2015, if I told you there was only one number one seed that did not qualify for the final four that year, and I gave you one guess, who would it be? I'll save you too much, too much guessing. The answer would be Villanova. That 2014-15 Villanova team goes 33-3, and or 33-2 and in the regular season, 16-2, and 
in the Big East. They win the Big East, uh, score 76 and a half points a game, allow 61 points a game. Really good. Eighth rated offense, 19th rated defense, uh, rated within the top 10 most of the season. Their two losses uh, by five at Seton Hall, really salty Seton Hall team. Uh, and then they hosted Georgetown, a random clunker in mid-January. Uh, the Hoyas blew out the Wildcats by 20. And then Villanova went on a tear, blasted Creighton, blasted DePaul, no shock, beat Marquette, Georgetown, and plenty others on their way to the NCAA tournament. Uh, their tournament run, though, cut short. Their opening round as a one seed, they beat the 16 seed in Lafayette. They steamroll in that game 93-52. to And then here comes little old NC State. That's right, the Wolfpack spring up and get the Wildcats, uh, NC State was the eight seed in that region. They take Villanova down by three points. Uh, We'll we'll maybe talk about that tournament as we go further on, but uh, Duke, Kentucky, and Wisconsin were the other one seeds all made it. Villanova didn't, but this is one of those situations in sports that I think the year before really set the stage for what Villanova was going to be. Jay Wright had that, that team, that program rolling, at that point, but, you know, hadn't busted through and and won that big game yet, right? Still looking for that ring to validate everything he was doing at at Villanova. The recruiting had definitely ticked up. Villanova, more of a developmental program, I think still has that kind of reputation, but that 2014-15 team ended up with six players on it that were in the ratings service consensus index top 100, uh, including a couple guys we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, Daniel Ochefu was 44th overall. Javon Pinkston is a flashback. Uh, 46th in his class. Chris Jenkins, Phil Booth, top 100 guys. Uh, Ryan Archidiakono, maybe the quintessential Villanova player of my lifetime, it kind of feels like. He was 55th in the 2012 class. But the first member of the New York Knicks that we get to here is Josh Hart. Josh Hart rated 94th overall in his high school recruiting class uh, coming out of Maryland. He was a sophomore on that uh, number one seed Villanova team in 14-15 that lost in the second round to NC State. Solid numbers for Josh Hart, 10 points, four and a half rebounds, and assists and a half per game. Uh, Playing mostly the two, uh, some secondary ball handling, but you could see Josh Hart was going to be a solid college player. Well, Villanova takes the disappointment of that 2014-15 season and comes back with a vengeance the next year again. Really solid on offense. They finished with the 10th rated offense out of 350 teams, uh, 115 points per 100 possessions. In their defense, pretty salty as well. 94 points per 100 possessions, good for 15th. And for those of you uh, who are like me, who enjoy filling out your brackets, that's generally a good measure of what to look for. If a team is top 20, both offensively and defensively, those are the teams that have the tendencies to make those long runs in March Madness. Uh, Villanova in 2015-16 definitely had that profile. So Josh Hart was far and away the leader on that team. Uh, He goes for 16 points a game, seven rebounds, and two assists, capping a a great career. Uh, He would play, no, just kidding. He came back for one more year. Some people thought he was going to make the leap, but he didn't. So uh, in that 2015-16 season, Josh Hart is absolutely a stud. He leads them in scoring. Uh, second on the team in rebounding behind only Ochefu, um, and does a fair amount of ball handling as well. But it's behind Josh Hart that we get a couple more of those names. Coming in as freshmen, 
You get the 6'7", 190-pound wing in Mikhail Bridges, who doesn't do a whole lot, plays a role, right? Six points, a few rebounds per game. But you could already tell as a freshman he was going to be a defensive menace. Long arms, quick feet for, you know, as big as he is. And then Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson comes in, runs a lot of point for Villanova right off the bat. Um, Ryan Archidiacono did a lot of that as well. But Jalen Brunson carved out a niche as a freshman, which was hard to do under these Villanova teams, right? They are the get old and stay old kind of ethos. But Jalen Brunson comes in, averages uh, nine and a half points, a couple and a half assists and a couple rebounds per game. What I didn't realize was just how highly rated Jalen Brunson was coming into Villanova out of high school. He was a top 20 recruit in that 2015 class. So he definitely lived up to his pedigree from the get-go. And Villanova steamrolled its way through that season. Again, the offense was 10th in the country uh, per 100 possessions, the defense 15th. The, uh, their, their tournament run was honestly laughable. They had two close games. Uh, the first one was the South Region uh, final. So the Elite Eight game, uh, Villanova ended up as the two seed in that region, I believe. Uh, Kansas got the one, but Villanova won that game 64 to 59. These, the final four game that Villanova had in that 2016 tournament, one of the all-time laughers. That was an Oklahoma team uh, that was really fun in the regular season, squeaked its way through to the final four, and Villanova blasted them, blew them completely out of the water, 95 to 51, uh, the final for Villanova in the final four. And then they capped that season, they capped that run, with one of the most dramatic uh, postseason championships uh, of all time. It's 77-74 uh, Villanova over North Carolina in the final, known, of course, for the, the Marcus Page circus shot uh, right in front of his team's bench. He kind of kicks his legs forward, looks like he's doing a lunge in midair, uh, hits that circus three to tie the game at 74. And then Villanova ran a play that after that happened, became a staple of playbooks across the country. Uh, Archie Diakno uh, dribbles the ball up against a little bit of pressure. Chris Jenkins inbounds and trails. Just a simple little, almost like I-formation pitch back to Chris Jenkins. Uh, we saw Gonzaga hit a shot like that. UCLA hit a shot like that in the last couple years. I think it was Strother for Gonzaga this year who hit that big one. Um, but Chris Jenkins uh, pulls up from about 28 feet, ice cold knocks it down. And of course the, the enduring image of that isn't as much Chris Jenkins shot as it is Jay Wright seeing the shovel pass starting to turn toward the North Carolina sideline. He says, bang, starts walking to go shake hands. Just an absolutely incredible uh, Jay Wright type of image. There is uh, Villanova really gets that validating win. I think, I mean, they hadn't ever really flamed out in, in terribly dramatic fashion. Not that, you know, we would think of, you know, in the annals of college basketball, but they hadn't gotten over that hump. They finally do it on that 2016 season. Again, behind a lot of good stuff from Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, the hero in the championship game. Those guys were juniors. Uh, Ryan Archidiacono, as a senior, led the way. And then you had those two other freshmen in Brunson and Mikhail Bridges. And, and Dante DiVincenzo came on as well. Didn't do much during the regular season. Only average, you know, a point and a rebound per game in limited action. But when it mattered most, he popped on the scene. He was Big East All-Freshman that year. Um, just a fantastic player. Let's fast forward to that next year, the 2016-17 team. Josh Hart's back. Jalen Brunson's back. Mikhail Bridge is back. Dante DiVincenzo back. Chris Jenkins still there. Uh, Eric Pahal steps into the spotlight. Phil Booth still around. One of the great old man games. 
and Villanova does their thing. They go 32-3 and in the regular season. Uh, again, all three losses coming in Big East play. 15-3 uh, and in the Big East. They have the fourth best offense per 100 possessions in all of men's college basketball. 117.6 points per 100 possessions. Uh, the defense slipped a little bit. 95.5 points, only you know, a point and a half more than their championship year, but that's all the way down to 28th. And it was another eight seed that sprung up and got the the, the Wildcats in the tournament that year. Uh, they beat Mount St. Mary's as a one seed, but then Wisconsin pops up and beats Villanova 65 to 62 in the second round. And that was it for Josh Hart. Uh, Josh Hart averaged 19.6 rebounds, three assists per game. Brunson took another step forward at another five and a half points and another assist and a half per game. Chris Jenkins, as a senior, averaged double-digit points. Mikhail Bridges really turned into the guy we know him as now, the 3 and D type of player for Villanova. And DiVincenzo as well. I mean, eight points, four rebounds, nothing to sneeze at. But even with Josh Hart gone, that next year's team, that 2017-18 team, to me, resembles what Golden State was doing in the NBA in a lot of ways. We think about when Golden State won those titles. It was hard because they were a jump shooting team, right? Jump shooting teams don't win championships. That's what we were being told. Uh, Golden State won their couple. And then here comes Villanova. Villanova rated the best offense in all of college basketball. 122.3 points per 100 possession, 86.6 points per game. That's nuts in college basketball. 86 points per game is what Villanova does. Uh, only finished second in the Big East, so kind of a down year for Villanova there. Um, but a a still solid regular season. The defense slipped, though. Villanova allowed 70 points per game, uh, which overall was, uh, you know, a, a top third in the country, so still somewhat respectable. But again, they are averaging in the low 60s to maybe the mid 60s the few years before that. To jump all the way up to 70 was a you know a huge fall, I guess, fall all the way down to 70. But that team's last loss happened in uh, late December. They lost or February. Sorry, they lost by six at Creighton, snuck by Seton Hall by a point a few days later. And then after that, their closest game ended up being 10 points in the Big East tournament. They, they beat Providence end up winning the Big East Conference Tournament, and then they go on a roll. Beat Radford in the opening round of the tournament. Uh, Alabama, they end up smoking by just as much. Their Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games were slightly hairier. They beat West Virginia by a dozen and Texas Tech by a dozen as well. Then we get to the Final Four. They take on Kansas, embarrass the Jayhawks, put up 95 on them, you know, two years after putting up 95 on Oklahoma in the Final Four. And then the championship game against a super surprising kind of out of nowhere Michigan team that got hot as Michigan teams uh, have tended to do in the postseason. Villanova wins it much more handily this time. It didn't take Chris Jenkins heroics uh, as the Wildcats won that national title 79 to 62. So as you look back through uh, the three players for Villanova that are now with the New York Knicks, it's hard for me to put anyone but Jalen Brunson as the best player. Uh, in that group. I mean, he's the uh, 2018 Associated Press Player of the Year, uh, two-time All-Big East and All-Big East Tournament, Big East All-Freshman team, uh, won the Wooden Award, won the Naismith Award, um, and won those two titles. So Jalen Brunson's resume is pretty unimpeachable, I think. Then I'd go to Josh Hart, probably is the next best. Uh, two-time All-Big East, three-time All-Tournament team, All-Freshman, Sixth Man of the Year. 
and uh, that that one ring that Josh Hart got as a junior. DiVincenzo was fascinating. A lot of people didn't think he would be coming out to the NBA the way he did. Only played 85 games in college across those three years. Uh, Nine of them as a freshman won a title. Uh, Played in all 36 games then in that 16-17 season. And then the full 40 and 17-18. But started 10 of them. I mean, only 12 starts across 85 career games in college for Dante DiVincenzo. But clearly he made the right decision. Bet on himself. And it didn't take long for him to carve out an NBA role. So that's, I think, a testament to Jay Wright. Uh, to Dante DiVincenzo. And you look at those guys from some of those teams. Uh, Eric Pahal didn't do a whole lot in the pros, but as we look at these three, Jalen Brunson has figured it out at the NBA level. Really solid NBA player, borderline all-star type, helping lead the New York Knicks to the playoffs. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, like I said, bounced around the league a little bit, but people keep trading for him. They keep picking him up as a good signing uh, for some uh, scoring juice off the bench. He can hold his own defensively, but not his calling card. And Josh Hart just hasn't shot it well in the pros is really what it comes down to. But again, it's kind of that two. He can play some defense, occasionally knock down a shot, and just, just make the right play, right? That's what Villanova you know, players are really known for. Uh, Jay Wright not there anymore. It's Kyle Neptune now, and uh, maybe it's the Knicks who are eyeing a reunion with Jay Wright and some of his players, but we'll keep an eye out for that. Now, good stuff there on Villanova and everything going on there. We're going to turn our attention, though, to conference uh, challenges. Not tournaments, but challenges. I mentioned the Big Ten ACC challenge is dead and gone, being replaced. We're going to look back at it before we move on to the Big Ten SEC ACC challenge. We'll do all that, preview the Gavit games as well next. Back to the quarter three on 93 and the ticket. Here is your host. Austin Orman. That's right. Here we are. Austin Orman joined by Matt Hardesty. Uh, Matt, do you have uh, any any thoughts on what I was saying about Villanova? Is it pretty clear that Jalen Brunson is the best player from those teams? Is there anyone else has a case? Uh, yeah, no, it's no question with how dominant that 2018 team was and just what he meant to that team. I mean, there may be other guys like a Josh Hart that goes on to have a better better NBA career, and I'm not even sure about that at this point. But, I mean, when I look back and think on those about those teams, I think about, obviously, Chris Jenkins and then Jalen Brunson. And in terms of most talented, Jalen Brunson. And yet the leading scorer on that 2018 team in the, the uh, actual national championship game, Phil Booth. Really? Yeah. I was going to guess Dante DiVincenzo on that one. It was not. But, I mean, what DiVincenzo did coming off the bench, that was fantastic. That's what that team needed, right? That kind of bench scoring juice. Because as as bad as they were defensively, I mean, as mediocre average as they were defensively, he wouldn't have fit in well. But being able to come off the bench to spell Brunson, uh, to spell Jenkins, guys like that, Dante DiVincenzo played his role perfectly, and it's the same one he's playing in the NBA right now. Oh, yeah. No, I I honestly remember Phil Booth more from that 2016 North Carolina championship game. He had some big buckets off the bench, I remember. 2018, honestly, I don't know. I feel like just that there were a lot of games in that tournament where 
the the wrong teams won and it kind of cost us some really awesome matchups. Like I know you especially would have loved to see uh, Villanova versus Duke in the final four down in San Antonio. And after we saw what Villanova did to that Kansas team, uh, I think that would have been a much better game. And I would have loved to see what Marvin Bagley did against that Villanova team. Not a big Villanova team, not an overwhelmingly athletic Villanova team. And that Duke team in 2017-18 was Zombie Duke. I mean, they came back from the brink time and time (laughs) again. I at least feel confident in saying that they wouldn't have lost by 44. (laughs) Yeah, I I at least feel that. That game, that tournament as a whole just had a lot of weird results. I mean, we had Villanova versus Texas Tech in a in an Elite Eight. I forget, was it Matt Harms or one of the Purdue big men got hurt in the in the second round or first round against Cal State Fullerton? One of their one I think of their it dudes, at that point. Yeah, I think it was Harms or or Haas. Did you hear Haas? I think it might have been Haas. They're again, they're all the same. It's just like the Maryland bigs. <laughs> Um, but it was like, it would have been fun to see that happen. Uh, Villanova played Purdue instead of Texas tech, which Texas tech vindicated themselves the next year with that 2019 run that they were a legit program under Chris Beard at the time. And then, I mean, then you just look at the other half, you had a Michigan versus, uh, Loyola Chicago (laughs) final four game. Just so much went wrong there. I think. I don't know, just North Carolina and Joel Berry, that team laying an egg against Texas A&M, Kentucky and P.J. Washington missing a million free throws against Kansas State. That whole tournament just got weird. And even Duke Syracuse was just – and Kansas Clemson. Like, those are just weird Sweet 16 games. Like, I just – none of it felt right. Well, none of it felt right also defines the Big Ten ACC challenge. Yeah, in some good, good that's, intro. <laughs> that's really how that, that challenge went. I mean, it went back and forth. The Big Ten and ACC always thought they were, you know, vying for conference supremacy uh, for best conference in college basketball. Big 12's been up there. SEC definitely has made a charge as of late. But we knew after last season uh, with the, the changing networks and just with the agreements running out, that the end of the Big Ten ACC challenge was upon us. Nebraska's most common opponents were Boston College and Wake Forest. The Huskers ended on a win over Florida State this year, but generally uninspiring from a Nebraska standpoint. Um, It had some good matchups here and there, but we're going to spend a few minutes here going back in time, revisiting the best, but especially the worst of the Big Ten ACC challenge. And I think we can both agree right now, Virginia, Wisconsin is the worst college basketball has to offer. Uh, which which version? Because they're all of it. <laughs> I, I went back. I I dug into. They played three times in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and Why? Uh, the highest scoring game between the two was their first meeting in 2012, with a final score of 60 to 54. <laughs> oh my gosh! That it was, was all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, oh. that was like London Parantis, early early Tony Bennett, Virginia. Oh, disgusting. All right, Which where, is where funny we... because if you go back, I mean, Tony Bennett's dad, Dick Bennett, uh, mm-hmm. was coaching Wisconsin at the beginning of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And right. those games were a little better, but there were some clunkers back then, too, that we'll get into. What My favorite part about this is that Maryland counts for both conferences yeah. in this challenge. As a member of the ACC, Maryland went 10-5 and five against the Big Ten. Uh, they won... Uh, five at home, they won four on the road. 
They get to the Big Ten and drop the ball. Two and seven against their old conference members. So fair to say mistake made by Maryland, at least on the Big Ten ACC challenge front. They also, against the ACC, they really got thrown into some games kind of kind of over their heads, if I remember correctly. Like they had to play like North Carolina in 2016, their mm-hmm. like Carolina's championship year. And just honestly, I don't even remember. I, I've got the list of games. I don't remember some of their other games, but they just, yeah, they had some just bizarre matchups in there that, again, because Maryland's such a big name that they really, they really got to face teams that maybe they, they shouldn't have had to face. Like, yeah, they had to play Virginia a lot just for ease of travel. Um, it's like no yeah. one wants to watch more of that. Like, I'm kind of bummed that they never put Maryland and Duke up against each other in this challenge. If Maryland had been two or three wins better most years, there would have been a chance. Uh, but instead, we got a lot of Duke, Wisconsin, a little Duke, Michigan State when they weren't playing, and even Duke, Ohio State last year, which was kind of what it was at the beginning of the challenge. Yeah, no, I kind of it was kind of interesting going back to the beginning of this challenge and you know, learning about you know how it was when this thing started in 1999, uh, which kind of like a golden age for both conferences. I mean, Maryland was about to become a national powerhouse right before their big run of final fours. Duke just was coming off of being one of like the three greatest teams to never to not win a national title in 1999. Then that 99, 2000 year, I believe. Yeah. That was the year that we had Michigan state and Wisconsin make the final four Wisconsin. Also, I believe beat Purdue in the elite eight that year. So big 10 was pretty loaded then too, even though they were much smaller conferences, but the, the thing that kind of surprised me looking back at those games was they did a lot of neutral court matchups early on. Really? Yeah. Like almost like almost to a fault and we'll get into it. Uh, like Michigan and Georgia tech, they played in the Hawks arena in Atlanta, Phillips arena. Uh, we had Maryland and Iowa played in Baltimore. Um, Duke and Illinois played a couple really awesome games Back then, I think I don't know if that was Bill Self yet or not, but Duke played. They played Illinois and Chicago at the United Center, and then at the Greensboro Coliseum. Another one I was kind of doing research because didn't know anything about this game, but I saw like Maryland and Wisconsin played a overtime game in 2000 at the Bradley Center. And I was like, went to Wisconsin won by three, and I was like, oh, I wonder if this was a good game. And then I'm reading the the Maryland recap that I could find from 2000. It was like played in front of a mostly empty Bradley center. It was like, (laughs) okay, that sounds more like it. So there was, there was a lot of weird, uh, weird neutral court matchups early on, but the one I wanted to touch on, I kind of split my memories into like the, the good games slash the games where it's like, holy cow, this team's for real this year. And then there's the sickos version. (laughs) And one version I did not know, one game I never knew happened was in 2001, we had Virginia play Michigan State uh, in Richmond Coliseum in Richmond. I didn't know that Pete Gillen, famously uh, former Providence and Virginia coach who Rex Chapman accidentally killed on the the air uh, when he was Uh like, rest in peace, Pete Gillen, I believe, like two years ago. 
uh, March Madness. He was the coach of Virginia at the time. So they're playing Michigan State. They're up 31-28 in the second half. And the rest of the game gets canceled because the floor was too wet because the AC was on 24 hours. And so it just something weird with external temperatures in Virginia at the time that the floor, like people were slipping and Pete Gillen called it Bambi on ice. Oh boy. <laughs> so there was a, oh and again, it was 31 28 in the second half. I think it was at like the under 16 timeout. If I remember correctly, they, Gross. they mercifully ended that one. So Thank goodness. that's a weird portion of college basketball history that I didn't know until today. That 2001 challenge won by the ACC, Maryland, Illinois, yeah. uh, in Maryland, looks pretty good. Iowa was rated number seven in 2001. I did not realize that. Um, Duke wins that one. Wake Forest in Minnesota. Being, Minnesota wasn't ranked there, but if you scroll back through the challenge, you see number 14, Minnesota, sprinkled in. Yeah, That's just weird. The early and mid-2000s were a weird time for college basketball. I found one from, it was 2017. So the 2017-18 season, I did not realize this, but there was a Minnesota-Miami game that was 10th ranked Miami versus 12th ranked Minnesota. And that was the Minnesota team that Nebraska blasted like the following week after the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And I don't think, that was the Minnesota team that like really melted down and didn't make the tournament, but yeah, there were, I was kind of, that was another thing I found was, especially back in like the early two thousands, they did a good job of matching up, like having these games be top five matchups, things like that. Where I was like, that was a pretty good game. I mean, there was an Iowa NC state game. That was a top 25 matchup at one point in, in Whoa. 2005, I think. And that's on the sickos list. Cause the final score was 45 to 12. Um, I mean, 45 to 42, excuse me. I was going to, okay. It's still sickos, but yeah, there was 2004. There was like a Virginia Northwestern game. That was 48, 44, like, which you would kind of expect today as well. But there was, there was a lot of nasty, nasty scores like that going on in the early two thousands in this, this matchup. The other thing I kind of noticed though, was, they're, I mean, they would always do a good job of if they played in the national championship game the year before, like you saw uh, that match, like Michigan or Illinois, North Carolina, North Carolina, Michigan State. Uh, there was one other one I forget, but like they always did a good. Oh, Maryland, Indiana was the other one. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which was on the good list of games. Maryland, Indiana <laughs> in 2002, they rematch in Indianapolis. And Maryland thought they won the game on a half-court buzzer beater, but it gets waved off. Indiana wins in overtime by six. So, yeah, that was, again, Maryland-Indiana, it's starting to be a good game again. But back then, that was was before Mike Davis kind of fell apart there. That was, I mean, that was a marquee matchup in this series. What are the marquee matchups in this series? Like, does Duke Wisconsin count? Is it is it Michigan State North Carolina? Yeah, I mean Duke. Yeah, Duke Michigan State's one for sure. Even though that never lived up to the hype, never no. once. I think. Yeah, no, there it was always Duke just blowing the doors off of them, except for the one weird COVID year when Michigan State got them back, which I think technically that was a Champions Classic game. Like that was one of the things I wanted to note on as well as like. Everyone had pretty even records in this challenge. And then there's Duke that was 20 and four. 
Like they That's just insane. Yeah, and I could name probably off the top of my head. I think I could name all four of those losses. It was I know they lost in the Cole Center in the early 2010s. Might have even been their national championship year. They beat they Wisconsin lose. 80 to 70 in 2015 or the 14 yeah. challenge. Yeah. Yeah, but they lost to them earlier. Really? Yeah, it was like late 2000s, early 2010s. Uh, they lost at Ohio State. They lost to Illinois. And then they lost to Illinois in the COVID year. That was the one That's where right. Illinois blew them out on the in an empty Cameron Indoor. Um, I guess I can't remember the, the fourth loss they had. Okay, so yeah, that 2009 game against Wisconsin, great call. Uh, Wisconsin upsets them. The Illinois one, uh, the Michigan State one. Got some digging to do for that fourth one. Yeah, it was, it would have been, I think the loss at Wisconsin was their first loss in the challenge. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Then that Ohio State one in 2011. Oh, Ohio State blew them. That was the other one. Ohio State beat them by like 20 in 2011. 11, yeah. And that was the year that Ohio State was the number one overall seed with, you know, Jared Sullinger and Aaron Kraft and all of them. God, Aaron so, Kraft. May his yeah. place rest in whatever the opposite of peace is. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to some of the earlier games, uh, some other ones that stood out, uh, there was a – I mean, 2004 Illinois Wake Forest is one I remember. It was that Illinois team that was the best team in the country. Uh, they kind of had their coming out party against Chris Paul and Wake Forest. Wake Forest was actually number one in the country going into that game. And it was in Champaign, and Illinois just blew them out. And I just remember as a small child watching that game being like, this Illinois team's unbeatable. And then they kind of were until the last game, the last day of the regular season. Mm-hmm. So I, I always remember that. There were a few other kind of coming out games. I mean, North Carolina and Michigan State played a bunch, but the big one was they played at Ford Field the same year that they would play at Ford Field in the national title game. And Whoa. North Carolina won both of them in like blowout fashion. That was a big one. Um, that Ohio State 2011 game is another one where it was like, okay, Ohio State's for real. I mean, Duke was a defending national champion. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything if Kyrie Irving was hurt by that point, but that was the Kyrie Irving team. It was. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember if that was before or after his toe injury. Um yeah, I mean, Wisconsin had a couple big wins in there. Beat Virginia. It would have been just, just, before, uh, just after the – wait, wait, wait. The game happened on November – late November. His injury was the next week. Okay, interesting. So he was there for that game, and they mm-hmm. still lost by 22. That says a lot about that, that Ohio State team. Uh, another one, honestly, that 2015 Duke-Wisconsin – or 2014 – Duke-Wisconsin game, that was kind of – I mean, Duke had the number two or number one recruiting class that year. But, I mean, Kentucky had already blown out Kansas, so they were already on the 38 or are they going to go undefeated talk? And then Wisconsin had, you know, Kaminsky and Decker and everyone back, and they were pretty highly ranked too. And then Duke goes into Madison and kind of – it ended a lot similar to the way the national championship game ended where just Tyus Jones went – was like uh, he kind of did his Paolo Banquero <laughs> impression before Paolo existed and you know really took over that game late and silenced the Cole Center. 
Uh, and that was a, that was a big one. Uh, Indiana had a couple big wins in there too. I think they blew out like North Carolina a couple mm-hmm. times actually as kind of a weird back in 2013, the year they were a one seed. So those are kind of the coming out games from, from this challenge that I remembered. It, it was a good era. It was fun while it lasted. And I'm glad they decided to start playing more of these games on campus because that's where these belong. Plain and simple. I mean, don't don't play these games, you know, 500 miles away from both schools at a neutral site. Get them on campus. And I, I'm sure you have this in your notes somewhere. If not, you'd find it really quickly. Who was the most average team in this in this challenge between the Big Ten and the ACC? Who was the most average team? One that surprised me was Boston College went seven and seven in this event. Good for BC. I know. Good for them. There was a lot of average. Uh, I don't know. Do you have in your notes who the only Big Ten team with the winning record is? Uh, it's Purdue. Yeah. Purdue's the only <laughs> team with the winning record. And your Nebraska Cornhuskers. The oh. reason I say they're the most average three wins and three losses at home, three wins and three losses on the road. Okay. Good catch there. They, uh, Nebraska had two entries for my memories. They had a Sickos entry. I believe it was Doc Sadler's final year. They lose 55 53 to Wake Forest in their mm-hmm. first uh, trip foray into this event. And then, I mean, how could you not include the, the NC State game from 2021? Oh my gosh. Say what you yeah. will. It was a brutal loss for Nebraska, but that was an awesome game incredible game the the clemson game that nebraska had won and then lost uh 60 to 58 yeah. um that's another yeah. one that goes on that list so we they also had a clemson from- win in 29 that was a real gutsy road win against a decent clemson team that mm-hmm. had i believe just come off making the sweet 16 yeah and that was like a quad one win for them that year and it still wasn't enough dang it yeah <laughs> that's a that's a story for another corner three but we move from the acc big 10 challenge to the acc sec challenge and this is fun this is where we get both our teams yeah. uh, involved here Let, let's start with just the, the day one matchups uh not a whole lot entertaining at that one except for your game <laughs> miami and kentucky the 7 30 eastern tip-off uh for the acc sec challenge what do you make of that game well, it got a lot of negative pushback from Kentucky Twitter when it was initially announced because I think some people kind of prematurely leaked, oh, you're going to get Kentucky Duke at either Cameron Indoor or Rupp Arena. I was like, well, that will be fun. Um, and then instead you get this and people are like, oh, really? Kentucky's fallen so far that they, they don't get to play North Carolina or Duke in this. But, I mean, they are playing the only team that, that made the Final Four uh, from the ACC I- last year. <laughs> And I mean, it's not going to get much juice, but Miami's kind of intriguing. They've had a quiet off season. Uh, they, they, they added Matthew Cleveland, which is a nice pickup. Mm-hmm. They lost some guys. They, they kept a couple big pieces, I believe like Norchad or Mir. Um, mm-hmm. And one of their, their kind of big three, uh, Nigel pack. That's the one. Pack I'm thinking pack, of. Yep. So, I mean, they're going to have some guards. I really, I'm, Kind of excited to see how they run against, you know, DJ Wagner, Rob Dillingham, and that Antonio Reeves and that crew. Should be a fast-paced game. So that one, I'm looking forward to it. It should be entertaining. But but at the same time, yeah, it would have been fun to play Duke or or, uh, or North Carolina. Even though they play, I mean, they've 
they play North Carolina almost every year already. So it would have, and they play Duke every three years, but that didn't stop the old SEC Big 12 challenge from from putting Kentucky and Kansas together almost every year. Right. Also notable on that Tuesday, Missouri and Pitt, a couple NCAA tournament teams will play uh, Notre Dame uh, with the new head coach. And then South Carolina, who you pointed out today, got yeah. a, an interesting commit. Yeah, Austin Hero, little brother of Tyler Hero from uh, 15 minutes away from me here up in South Milwaukee. Out, He went to Whitnall, led the, I think they're the Falcons to state this year, which is something big brother Tyler never did. So he, he got some looks from like one of the Cal Poly schools. I think he got a scholarship offer from there. Uh, didn't have the best high school numbers. I think he averaged 15 per game. Not sure about his AAU numbers, but yeah, he's walking on to South Carolina. So that's a, that's a good spot for him to, I don't, I don't know what to make of South Carolina this year. Uh, maybe he'll get some playing time if they get blown out or he'll work his way up kind of like Tyler Hero did at Kentucky, but but yeah, that game might actually be a entertaining game. And speaking of Notre Dame, that was another game that really wasn't that memorable, but I kind of noted down last year. I did not remember Notre Dame just blowing the doors off of Michigan State by 20 in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Whoa, I forgot that happened too. Yeah, that was probably the bright spot for uh, Mike Bray's final year. So that one sticks out. NC State Ole Miss, I think, is another game on that Tuesday night where you got Chris Beard. He's at Ole Miss now uh, hosting. I mean, NC state, I think they have some guys that I just can't keep up at this point with them. Uh, But I know Ole Miss has had a good haul in the transfer portal as well. So that might be a a fun game. But then again, if Chris Beard's defense is already installed, maybe that's a rock fight. And then you got Clemson, Alabama to, to close out the night. And that's a game that I remember over the past decade, those two teams have actually, Kind of played quite a bit as I think the the both teams kind of schedule it as a hey we play each other in football wouldn't it be cute if we played in basketball too that kind of when both teams were irrelevant and another bowl I mean Clemson's a bubble team and Alabama's a powerhouse so who knows with but, that one but Nate Oates must be stopped we can all agree that Nate Oates <laughs> must be stopped at this point yeah. Um, let's move to Wednesday really quick. We've got about five minutes to go through this. Tennessee, North Carolina is a game that would make my eyeballs bleed for different reasons, but should be somewhat Mine entertaining. A and M, Virginia, no, why? Uh, no, sickos. Uh, Florida, Wake Forest, sneaky fun? Question mark. Yeah, Florida's another team that they lost a lot of pieces from a just not good team last year, and Todd Golden's first year down in. In Gainesville, they brought some good players in. I think they poached a couple of Rick Pitino's guys from Iona. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Wake Forest, they got all the Nebraska ties. Parker Friedrichson, uh, Hunter Salas. Before he left. Yeah, he's gone now. So that, that game might be fun, but I don't know. I'm kind of bummed out that we get Tennessee-North Carolina again, though. We've seen that in a few of those uh, early season tournaments in recent years. And it's it's just always just kind of like Tennessee kind of brings North Carolina down to their level of, of rock fight. And no one wants to see that again. Right. Um, The other forgettable games, Virginia tech, Auburn, I guess we'll see. That might actually be stylistically. That game might be fun. 
I just don't know anything about either of those teams, so I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I usually don't like watching them. But maybe that's rude of me. Uh, Georgia, Florida State, no thank you. Boston College, Vanderbilt, go get them stack, I guess. Uh, Vanderbilt. Random thing on Vanderbilt. They just hired Stackhouse. Just hired Brad Calipari this morning. (laughs) No way. Yep. No way. The two of the best dressed uh, coaches down there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and Cal's daughter is uh, a like runs a research lab at Vanderbilt. So start up the Cal to Vanderbilt rumors. (laughs) That's next option. Although, also, I want to add. I mean, Vanderbilt was scrappy last year. Boston College. You know that part too well. Boston College was also kind of respectable, and they made some good moves in the the offseason and the portal. I think they actually got like a real recruiting class. They, they're bringing in a few four-stars, and they got a Charleston Southern guy, but they're also bringing back almost all of their team from last year except for, I think, four players. So kind of curious. This could be a nice chance for them to get a win that puts them on the bubble later in the year. Getting Jaden Zachary back will be big for them. I think Quentin Post is going to be good for them as well. Uh, McLaughlin was annoying. That's really the only other guy I remember for them. Yeah. I'm just just keep an eye on them. You never know. They could kind of be like next year, like last year's version of Clemson. Right. Uh, and then the quick Duke note, they are at Arkansas. Yeah. They go to Bud Walton Arena in a game that is much better served for the early 90s. Uh, then now we last saw this game in 2019, I believe. No, yeah, 2021. Which year was that? 2019. 2019. Or no, 2022. That was that. Came yeah, on yeah. 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 Uh, so a, a really recent rematch, but I believe the first time Duke is going to Bud Walton Arena. And, and I like that to you know help bump up that non-conference. You have Arizona. Uh, you have Baylor, and then you go to Arkansas. It scares me. I haven't seen a, a Duke non-conference schedule like this really my entire life. Coach K was very anti-non-conference outside of you know games he was forced to play. Um, and yeah, this is one you're contractually obligated to, given the challenge. But getting Arkansas, making it a road game, I think it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. And you get, I mean, Shire and Musselman are kind of polar opposites in terms of just their mannerisms. On the sidelines, Musselman, he'll be, I'm sure he'll be in rare form for that game. Uh, they're probably, I mean, they're going to be a top four SEC team this year, but Walton is a fun place to play a game. It's just, and that the energy really pops on, on TV as well. That that's probably, I'd call that the marquee matchup of this, this series. And I know they've got a couple guys, I think Bay fall is a big man coming in for Arkansas top recruit. I think he's a McDonald's All-American. So they'll they'll have some bigs and some size that they can they can throw at Duke and try to slow them down. But I mean if Duke goes into that Hornets nest and gets a win early on, that's gonna that's gonna really help them out by the end of the year. Uh quick run through of the Gavit games to finish out here. To say there's not a marquee matchup, I think is fair. You start out with Xavier Purdue, probably the closest thing to it. Um, on Monday, November the 13th, you get Michigan St. John's at the Garden. Uh, triple header on Tuesday, Wisconsin Providence, Marquette, Illinois, and Iowa at Creighton in the I Hope They Both Lose Bowl. Uh, don't worry about Wednesday to Georgetown Rutgers. No need to watch that one. And Friday will be decent, I guess. Maryland, Villanova, Butler, Michigan State. Anything there catch your, your ear? 
Uh, Iowa Creighton's going to be awesome. That's another game where just stylistically they match up wonderful. Uh, you get to see Baylor Shireman against. I mean, I don't know exactly how good Iowa's going to be this year, but I hope they don't kind of go against what they've been doing in recent years and slow things down. Uh, I think that's going to be a fun game. Marquette Illinois is also prob- probably going to be a good game. That's going to be a lot better game in Champaign than it would have been in Milwaukee, just because there should be a pretty raucous environment for that. I mean, Marquette's a preseason top 15 team, if not better. Uh, and then Michigan St. John's is also, I mean, that's Rick Patino's coming out party. You're getting it at the garden. Um, I mean, Michigan's had themselves an interesting off season to, to say the least. They kind of whiffed on, I mean, you lose Hunter Dickinson. They whiff on uh, Caleb Love. Caleb Love. I almost said Colby White. Uh, and then, I mean, they were kind of one of the rumored teams going after Antonio Reeves, uh, who never actually went to the portal. That's going to be fun. And honestly, yeah, Xavier Purdue. I mean, Xavier's probably going to be really good again this year. And it's kind of Purdue's first cl- chance to really, you know, put last year behind them. Uh, and just for for reference, the 2018 ACC Big Ten Challenge, uh, Virginia won at Maryland uh, in a top 25 matchup by five. So that kind of set set the tone right for them, too. Uh, going into the next year. So maybe Purdue can get a similar uh, boost at home. There you go. Matt, thanks for hopping on. Appreciate you uh, carrying the water with Landon out. Uh, Same time, same place next week. Sound good? Yeah. Maybe we'll talk some Big 12, Big East or something. Who knows what'll be going on. Yes, let's plan on that. He's Matt Hardesty, uh, Landon Word, of course, on vacation in San Antonio. So big thanks to Matt for jumping in uh, for the last uh, half an hour, 45 minutes or so. That'll put a bow on the corner three for this week. Covered a lot of ground. If you missed it, check out the podcast wherever you get it. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, anywhere else. Uh, Broadcasts also archived Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. That'll do it for me, but don't go anywhere. We've got more Ticket Weeknights. Heart of a Husker with Vershawn Jackson comes your way next. Uh, For me, this is me telling you to have a fantastic 4th of July. Stay safe and stay tuned. Heart of a Husker, Vershawn Jackson, next.